Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And today we're going to be talking about Fox and his friends. I've been going through a whole cycle of Rainer Werner Fassbinder films. I'm now up to 1975. It's a film that would have played in repertory for two or three or four years subsequently. And in that period of the late 70s when I was a teenager, I did see it. And I remember finding it like frightful that it was like your worst idea of what gay life had in store for you. You know, and particularly for me as kind of a working class man. And I also already had a bit of experience of, of exploitation. So I was very keen on kind of revisiting. And I think, had you seen it before, Richard? No, the, the only one I'd seen before was Fear Eats the Soul. Ah, right. I, th okay. I think. Okay, so what did you think of this one? I enjoyed it a lot more than the one we saw the other week. I know what you mean. I can see why, you, as a teenager, particularly as a gay teenager, you would have found it a difficult watch. But I, I think it's, yeah, that was great. I mean, you could sort of see it in the light of those sort of Douglas Sirk melodramas, but also reminded me a little of some of those pre-code films that we saw at yes. um, Cinema Rediscovery. Yeah, the ones, uh, it, it was interesting watching it. I was trying to remember which ones it was that it was reminding me of. And it was two. There was Blonde Crazy, which I think is the one where Jimmy Cagney is a, 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 a con artist and he does a big con and then gets exploited by a load of rich, yeah. more successful gangsters. And then there's, I may have these the wrong way around, there's Babyface and Blonde Crazy, and that's one of them. The other one is where Gene Harlow, I think, kind of is this poor girl from a terrible background who then sleeps her way to the top of this woman, company. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they're all like that. But, the, but that's what it kind of reminded me of with, with you know, sort of Fassbinder playing Ginger Rogers. Actually, I think that's a brilliant analogy. And I don't think I've seen it made before because there is like a kind of a bluntness to the depiction, yeah, of the exploitation that has that feel of inevitability, of in-your-face, of a kind of a crude a crude energy that we see in this film, yeah? Yeah, and I mean, those scenes, like the, the scene where they go to a restaurant and, you know, the, the menu's in French and he doesn't speak, read French, That that's a scene I've seen so many times in films, but I don't think I've ever seen it yeah. with two men. Well, actually, I think the two men thing is really what I highlight. So I have mixed feelings about the film. I still find it quite brutal and kind of unpleasant to watch though I think if you get rid of the idea that films are there to please and entertain you then in a way I don't mind as much but I also think that there is a kind of uh, a crudity a, a, a fixedness about Fassbinder's view of human relationships that I don't buy and that I think I wonder if they would have changed as he got older uh, Obviously, he died at the age of 37, so he didn't get a chance to, you know, to think through those things over a large uh, span of time. But this reduction of relationships to exploitation, which is what he views both in heterosexual relationships and in this gay relationship, I am very skeptical of. I find it, I'm not saying that they're not exploitative, but there's a lot more than exploitation involved. All the characters in the film are pretty unpleasant. Even Fox, the main, main character, is at times unpleasant. And they're all exploiting each other for various things. 
I really enjoyed the film. I wouldn't have wanted yeah. to leave the film, put it that way. <laughs> Should we sort of talk through the, the plot just to give some, some context? Yeah, so Fox is played by Fassbinder and at the start of the film, he works in a fairground as a kind of sideshow attraction as a disembodied head, which sadly you don't actually see this in action, which would have been interesting to see that. Anyway, he he's his male lover who runs the sideshow gets arrested and so he's then on his own. He hooks up with Carl Heinz Böhm in a gents toilet and steals some money to buy a lottery ticket. And then you find he's won the lottery and he's won 500,000 marks. Now, I, I was interested to see how much money that was. And so I, I did work it out that there was five Deutschmarks to a pound. So it's um, £100,000 he wins. The value of £100,000 in 1975, depending how you look at it, is about a million pounds now or a million euros or a million dollars, roughly. So if you take any sum of money they mention in the film, and double it, that's how many pounds it is. Carl Burns' mates, they're all gay, Bass. they're all old money type rich. But I don't think they're actually rich, they're all old money, but maybe haven't got much money. And they, they, they all realise that this unintelligent, uneducated guy who's got effectively a million quid in today's terms, and start to exploit him, and they basically all leech money from him over the course of the film. The Fassbinder character is in love with Eugen, who's his, his lover, he is in love with him. He he's happy with that relationship. He doesn't realise he's being exploited, or he's happy he's being exploited. It's not well. It's not clear. For me, it's kind of clear. He doesn't realise it when he you know he buys the flat, he buys the car, he lends the money. Then at a certain point, he begins to suspect it, but can't quite believe it, right? And then later on, he's left without money, and he's clear that they've exploited. That's the thing, they've all exploited him because the, what happens is the, his, his lover persuades him to buy a flat, and which he does, and that's like 180,000 marks, I think, so 350,000 pounds, and then says, well, we need to furnish it. And he takes him to the antique shop, which is run by Carl Boehm, and they just buy all this hideous furniture, which they're charged 80,000 marks for, so 160,000 pounds on that fucking furniture. Fassbinder's character Fox doesn't know the value of money. He doesn't know what this stuff should cost, but he thinks yeah. he's getting a good deal. But actually, it's just, or, you know, or again, fun, ch channeling some money to. to and then he channels some more money into his ex because they go shopping for clothes and they go shopping for clothes in the yeah. peak of his ex. And then actually, there's even the suspicion that even his former lover is in on the swindle. Well, yeah, because the former lover at one point says, at some point, this is going to be my flat. Yes. The, the flat where, but where Fox is living. With, but with, that's Eugen's former lover, so he's in on the swindle mm. for sure. Oh, yeah, sorry, Fox's the Fox's former, former lover is also Because then this, he yeah. is, when we see him, is he's in touch with uh, Karlheinz Baum's antique dealer, right? Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. previously lent him 30,000 marks, which he's clearly never going to get back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so so effectively, everyone is exploiting Fox and trying to get this money from him. But there's a key point here that Fox stole the money for the lottery ticket from a guy that runs a flower shop. So actually, is is it really his money? Well, <laughs> you know, it's ticket. kind of an interesting yeah, morality. So, I think. He bought no, he but he bought the ticket, but he'd stolen the money to buy. Well, the ticket. I'm not saying I'm not um, saying that. The, 
uh, Franz Lieberkopf is an ideal of human kindness. <laughs> but, and he did steal those 10 marks. On the other hand, he returned 500. Yeah. And you yeah, know, it yeah. was presumably his lottery ticket. Yeah, he bought the lottery ticket. I, I, I do apologize for attempting to google the legal logic of this 1970s fastbinder film but i did look up what whether if you if you stolen money to buy a lottery ticket whose lottery ticket is it and there was a case a couple of years ago in the uk of two guys who stole a debit card and bought a scratch card with the stolen debit card and the scratch card was worth four million pounds which they then claimed but the, the lottery operator worked out they'd stolen the debit card um, but the money didn't then go to the guy whose debit card it was. It just went back into the That's, cause, cause So that was My that was understanding from watching endless episodes of Judge Judy is that, <laughs> that you cannot profit from a crime, right? So basically, yeah, yeah. if Fox, you know, had been taken to court over that, he would have had his money taken away. But again, it wouldn't have gone to the floors. Yeah. That now uh, established... Let's go through some of the scenes. What did you think of the opening fairground scene? Big crowd scene, very immediately you're in this world, in this this sort of very, very contemporary 1970s world. But... I loved it. I thought it set up a kind of dreamlike fantasy milieu of tawdriness, but also spectacle. They're obviously conning people, right? And the police intervenes to take the, the guy away for, I think it's a non-payment of taxes. But they're showgirls, so it's a combination of this tawdriness and this spectacle and this fantasy, and also this element of swindling. Again, this thing that Bibrakov uh, is not like this, you know, innocent. I mean, his job basically is to swindle people, to make them believe. There's a great line where the police arrive, and at that point all you've seen is, is a painting of Bibercop's face as the severed head. When the police arrive to see what's going on here, right, he comes out and stands on stage, and just someone in the audience says, Oh, you've grown. <laughs> the other scene that really interested me was the first meeting at uh, the antique dealer's Max, uh, played by Karl Heinz Baum's house. Yeah, that scene where all the middle class bourgeois men come. That was really interesting, and you meet all these guys, and you, you're not really introduced to many of them, but because Bibicop's there, and they're like, I see you've picked up some rough trade kind of thing. This is the first time it's revealed that he's won effectively a million pounds, um, and suddenly they're all interested. Again, it's not stated, but you realise you know, throughout the film, these guys keep reappearing. So the lawyer that draws up the the, the, the contract, because Bibicop lends 100,000 to the... Um, to Eugen's um, father's print company and the lawyer who draws up that contract is one of those guys from that party, for instance. And, and yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I thought it was so crude, right? But also, it kind of struck a chord with me. Because, you know, I remember being a young gay man and just trying to find out where to go, like where gay men hung out, you know. And it was interesting because there would be like these divey places that are like the ones that Bibercop hangs out at with the Chinese lanterns. And, yeah, yeah. You know, the drag queens and so on. And then there would be like these these tony cocktail kind of places, right, where 
you know, people pretended they had seen every Broadway show. And, yeah. So it was like a kind of an aspirational culture that wasn't really their own. And, and actually, I think that's one of the interesting things about this film. I was listening to this really quite brilliant voiceover to the disc by Hamish Ford. I think he was struggling a bit with like, you know, saying he was using the word like aristocratic and so on and then, but it's not really aristocratic. The apartment they buy, well, it's a bit kind of biddy. They think it's grand, but we don't see it as grand. For me, maybe the resolution in that is, you know, these are all just middle-class people aspiring to be something else. When you first meet Carl Heinz Bohm, you, th you think he's a, an aristocrat. He gives that impression. It's not clear whether he is or not, because he, he's running this antiques business where you find out the stuff he's selling is clearly junk. Oigen's parents run this print company, but when you see the print company, it's a tiny little company. You know, and they're, they're going bankrupt. Yeah, 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 it's almost bankrupt, and it goes bankrupt at the end. They're trying to give the impression of, of great wealth and, and, and family history. I guess the other thing you think, I mean, this is Germany in, in 1975. If, if there was a long family history of money in those families, going back more, you know, 30 or 40 years, what they'd been doing in the 40s. I understand that Karl Heinz father was a member of the Nazi party and one of the leading conductors of the Nazi era. Karl Heinz Böhm was, a, was a, quite a big name as well, wasn't he? I mean, at this point in the 70s, a sort of similar kind of figure to Dirk Bogart, who's been, been sure. this kind of matinee idol in the 50s and then started doing things like Peeping Tom. And, and... But I think it's worth pointing out that Philip, yeah, who is Eugen's boyfriend, he's just working in a boutique. Mm. It's not clear whether he owns it. Right? We know for a fact that he's working on it. He might own it. Yeah, right? yeah. But, you know, it's that kind of, you know, at best, small businessmen, yes, small business owners. Yeah, that's kind of the milieu that you're, yeah, that you're, uh, uh, that's being depicted. But, of course, they're aspiring to something else. And their way of getting some, that something else is to rob it from the working class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in conjunction, in a way that seems clearly orchestrated, Right? And that's why sometimes the film feels so brutal. Another scene that really fascinated me was the scene at the mall. So that's at the time now that the affair is almost over. They're going through this dark mall, and it's almost like the registers and the acting, yeah, the tone changes. Right? It becomes very theatrical. So, that, you know, they're going through this space that's really dark, but very you know, colorfully lit. And there's a Karl Heinz Baum character all dressed in white, so clearly he's like some devil figure. Because right? that, that's a very odd scene, isn't it? Because he, I, I was, couldn't work out whether he was really there or not. Because it actually doesn't, he doesn't speak. And it doesn't really make sense for him to be in that scene. But he's just there and kind of always moving between the two of them. It's quite interesting. Yes. And then he put, places his hand very theatrically at the end of the scene mm. over Beaverkopf's head. Yeah, right? yeah. I think it's a brilliant scene and it looks fantastic so so you don't know whether it's a screen space or whether it's this real space or you know whether it's this dialogue that the characters are having that has kind of you know a broader kind of uh, resonance um, so I, I love that actually and I really also love the way that it's filmed yeah it is very circular the scenes of the factory are amazing right everything is being you know the office is within the factory you know, it's shot through glass. Every character is given a frame. Yeah. It's very precise yeah. use of foreground and background and focus and non-focus. 
So. It's, it's that amazing scene the first time they go back to Oigan's flat and, and the, like the camera is filming through a door and Oigan is in the first room and within one frame and then there's another frame behind him and that's where, where Fox is. And then you you realise later when the camera turns round that where the camera is is, is where the bed is um, yes. and you're sort of seeing all the way through the flat. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the mise-en-scene is absolutely brilliant. The, the other one that really struck me is this, the bit when they're in Morocco and... and sort of walking through the market and there's the light you know the shadows and the light shining through the the ceiling is, is amazing it's amazing uh i think actually that whole scene is so interesting because it then changes the focus of the film which is really on class yeah to race yeah so the reason why um what's his name al Haji ben salim or something like that yeah the 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 Moroccan man they try to pick up. The reason why he can't come into the hotel is because he's Algerian. So yeah. the hotel's happy to provide them with rent boys if they need it, right? But, you know, kind of no Arabs allowed. You do wonder what the Holiday Inn thought about that scene when they saw it. Because, the, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, you see the sign saying they're in the Holiday Inn and the guy who offers to get them a rent boy is wearing a Holiday Inn logo on his uniform. Yeah. It's kind of, wow. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, that was interesting. The whole film is so interesting because it combines the sense of like a sexual minority with no solidarity whatsoever, replicating all the class kind of structures and oppressions of the broader culture at large, right? And then you see the working class person and the middle class person living through this kind of racialized third world tourism, mm, mm. yeah, of sexual exploitation as well, without giving it you know, a thought. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why the film is so rich. Yeah. Because yeah, it kind of complicates all of those kind of layers. Of yeah. Because the, the other thing is a lot, when you talk about the class thing, a lot of what people are objecting to, it's nothing to do with homosexuality. It's because he's working class. So, I mean, the parents have no issue with their son being gay. Yes. They, they just object to the fact he's going out with this, this uncouth working class guy who doesn't know how to eat soup properly. Supposedly, the, the neighbours in Oregon's flat complain and he has to move out. It's a rented flat because he's got this new boyfriend and so presumably they're suddenly complaining because it's a working class guy. Although you think later, well, maybe nobody complained and that was just part of the scam to get hold of this flat. But, sure. Yeah. So you do get a sense that homosexuality is still illegal. Yeah, that actually this moving from apartment to apartment because of neighbours' complaints is a common lived experience mm, of mm. the way that it's discussed in the film. I think the film kind of makes that very clear in kind of very interesting uh, ways. What did you think of the last sequence? A great ending. So, so yeah, spo spoiler warning. At the end of the film, Fox dies and you, you, he's taken an overdose of, of, of Valium. And there's this amazing sequence where he, he, he's basically lying dead in this... Um, metro station and these two young boys who are 10 or 11 something like that, from their clothes they're they're also clearly middle class kids you know these are not like working class street kids these are middle class school boys on their way home who see this this guy and their immediate response is to see whether he's got any money and so they they, they realize he's dead and they just steal cash they steal his watch um but then Carl Berm and, and the, the carnival guy arrive and again see their friend, supposed friend, dead. And their reaction is just to say, oh, well, we don't want to get involved in this. And they just 
they just clear off. At which point the kids return to picking the body clean, and it, it's so cynical. Yeah, it's really cynical, really brutal to watch. I must say, I think part of the, the reason why the film fails for me is that I wasn't moved by it. Mm, mm. Yeah, that it really did feel just too much. Yeah, kind of too excessive. Kind of takes you out of the film and go out. <laughs> I was wondering through this process of watching Fassbender films, you know, why hasn't he been canonized by a generation, by you know, this new generation of queer boys? Because these films are as queer as queer can mm, be. Mm. And particularly shocking to me when I think of the absence of representation in those days. This is a film about gay men where homosexuality is not the problem. Yeah, the problem is exploitation, or class exploitation. None of the people in the film are acting in any sort of stereotype way. Obviously, yeah. you would, as you would expect from a film directed, written directed by, by, by a gay man, but it's, it's just matter of fact. They're just there and they're just gay. It's very matter of fact, and yet you see things that you wouldn't see in any film not directed by a gay man. Mm, mm. I mean, so for example, even today, I found that thing of you have a big cock, like shocking mm, yeah, to mm. see. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a mainstream, yeah, big budget film. Yeah. That circulated internationally and, you know, was a success. There are conversations like that mm. that you don't hear outside of a gay bar. And also the frontal nudity, right? Mm. And particularly from the director himself. I don't think I've ever seen a director film himself nude for one of his own films. I think the only one of the main characters who gets completely naked is, is Fassbinder. Uh, there's a brief scene, I think, where the, where, where the boyfriend gets out of bed. But, you, but Fassbinder is like wandering around completely naked for really quite lengthy sequences. I think in terms of the, you know, the ethics of, of a director asking people to do that kind of thing you just think okay well he's he's doing it himself he's not going to ask anyone to do something he's not willing to do himself that, that's interesting that is very interesting though i'd also like to point out that there are all those shots of the beautiful rent boys in the sauna mm. who are also fully naked yeah 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 all standing yeah, there it's... looking very kind of bored and naked it's quite it's yeah quite and interesting. available i think they're replicating Divokov's identity. He also clearly was a hustler before. I mean, we see him at the beginning trying to, trying to hustle Karlheinz Baum out of 10 marks by the toilet. <laughs> I think that scene is also a reflection of how, you know, that is now in the background. He now has the money. He's taking this mud bath. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And he's completely unaware or uncaring. Yeah. Of you know, the sexuality available for sale, just like he was. Yeah, yeah. So I think it has that kind of commentary. But so I suppose you could say in the film, the only frontal male nudity that you see is people who sell themselves for money. Mm. But I just kind of want to highlight how extraordinary this film is for 1975. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm beginning to, to think that Fassbinder is so upfront and truthful about himself, his desires, his thinking, like he censors nothing, including this male nudity that I find surprising now, because, you know, it's shown in very different ways than you get in a Netflix series or anything like that, uh, and which must have been absolutely shocking at that time. Yeah. So, you know, a combination of subject matter and then imagery, which I doubt have been much 
seen before, if at all. I think it's an extraordinary film, even though it wasn't, for me, the most pleasant mm. watch. And certainly he's not given the attention that I think is his due as one of the really great directors of all time. Yeah. That is true. Nor explored by kind of queer academics, queer film academics, queer cultures in general, as much as I think he deserves to be. Yeah. Uh, so I think kind of this film is definitely due many more rethinks than are heretofore available. Yeah. All right, so this is a film I'd highly recommend that everyone see. Uh, Richard, do you have any last words? No, I don't think so. I think I would, I would agree on this one. I, as I, I did enjoy it. We seem to have opposing views on both these films, but I, I enjoyed it a lot more than the previous one, although I did enjoy the previous one. So. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we're thinking a lot about films. Bye. Bye. Schau